Hi Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. How are you, Carrie Ann? I am wonderful. You're How? good? I feel I'm... like I always start out, it's because I say the not, so then I, I feel like it's my turn to talk. <laughs> well, <laughs> we went through a phase where like, it would be, or not, uh-huh. and then we would both giggle, or... You yeah, know, I'm over it. And Nothing we're is now anymore. like trying to figure out how do we transition smoothly into whatever we're going to talk about for the day. I also need to stop interrupting you. I disagree. I solemnly swear that I will try. <laughs> try being the operative word. Thanks. I also finish your sentences a lot. That's because I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> or it's because my brain just fills in the end of your sentence. And it's like, this is clearly what you meant to say here, except that it's not always or even no, usually. You're right. I always like start saying something. And when I, when I, you know. <laughs> and then you start to ramble and then I take <laughs> over. <laughs> That's exactly right. And then I start singing. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on with you? Nothing much. We are recording on a Tuesday night, which oh my is God. so weird. Super weird. Happy Tuesday. Who Happy says that? Tuesday, friends. This past weekend, so we're recording the Tuesday after Mother's Day, and I got to see my mom over the weekend, but she surprised me with a trip to Greensboro today and took me out to lunch, and we just had the best time. Mm, where'd um, you guys go? Green Valley Grill. Mm. So oh, that's I got fancy. nice and spoiled, Yeah, you did. But it was really wonderful. We talked about books and. All sorts of good things. You awesome. Know. Yeah. So it was the first time hanging out one-on-one with her in a long time. Mm-hmm. That's really important. Quality time. Yeah. How about I'm, you? So I am really good. We have gotten so many good reviews on Apple Podcasts that have really been so lovely. And if you don't mind, I'd actually like to read a couple. Oh, I would love that. They make me feel so good. I love getting them. Uh, It really, first of all, like personally means a lot that people are taking the time to review them, but also that people like our content. um, And we are sending stickers to the really, really good ones. That's exactly what I was about to say as I was like pointing at you from across the room is we don't, I don't think we know who all of these reviews are from. Mm -hmm. So if some of these are you, please reach out to us so that we can send you stickers or, you know, our autographs. Oh, no. (laughs) And by autographs, I mean a thank you card that (laughs) Allie hand writes. (laughs) Okay, so this one says 10 out of 5 stars. Aw. Can I just say, wow, the things I have learned exploring topics from the Titanic to generational behavioral biology, these women cover it all. The best part is they make you feel like you are cozy on the couch right next to them, sipping some champagne, which we are drinking right now. And other than couch, you got it all right. Mm-hmm. We are Sitting actually Sitting on the floor in the bedroom, of the bedroom <laughs> socially distanced between a bed. Be sure to stimulate your brain and join in every Thursday to learn something new. I learn something new every Thursday. You literally teach me something every single week. You teach me something too. Yeah. I don't know shit about shit. I love this dynamic that we have. (laughs) (laughs) So that was one. I'll probably share one maybe next week when we record too. But I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who's doing that. That helps us out a ton, especially, you know, as we're growing. I think 
initially when we started doing the podcast, we weren't quite sure like how much traction we would get. And we have just been overwhelmed by all of the Teamsters and all the listeners who have supported us. I can't tell you how many recent conversations I've had with like OG listeners, Mm -hmm. like our friends, because that's where we start, right? Is you share it with with your friends. No audience. We started, okay. Let us be clear. (laughs) We started with no audience. Then we shared it with friends. Mm -hmm. And some of those friends, I'm now having conversations about like, we have an audience and it's so weird. And I have felt nothing but so much support. Absolutely. Shout out to everybody everybody so speaking of learning what are you teaching me today what is your psychology topic i'm actually hoping you're going to start off by teaching me a little something oh okay i can try (laughs) (laughs) so my i'm going to start us off with a quote and the quote is help me obi-wan kenobi you're my only hope Mm mm-hmm so I actually don't know shit about Star Wars. Me neither. Which is super embarrassing to say, and I can't believe I'm admitting that on a podcast. It's okay. I do know that Carrie Fisher, who is mm-hmm. the leading lady of my topic today, mm-hmm. for at least the first few paragraphs, <laughs> um, played Princess Leia. Yes, she did. Ooh. So we're going to cue the Star Wars intro, and that's going to be that. That's all I got for you. Fun fact, Rooney, about Carrie Fisher. So she died... Oh, gosh. When was it? Two years ago? Last yeah, year? Yeah, not long ago. Recently. Before the last one came out. Was it? Mm-hmm. Oh, Because yeah. they CGI'd her in. That's right. Which is crazy Creepy. that they can do that. Oh, I heard this weird statistic that, like, in the next 10 years, we're not going to be able to distinguish fake video from real video. Uh, and I just... First oh, of all, don't love that. it. Second of all, how see, I don't think that that could be true because I look back on all these fucking movies and at the time you were like, oh my God. And then now you're like, dude, I can see the okay, string bye. that you're dangling from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, how crazy to think about yeah. that, right? So anyways, Carrie Fisher died a couple of years ago and was cremated. Apparently, I have not seen it myself, but apparently her ashes are buried in an urn that was designed to look like a Prozac pill. Huh. Have you heard that? No. No, me either. She was fucking depressed. Actually, uh, she was bipolar, but... Okay. Uh, so part of bipolar was... is manic and depression, so... Yeah. Wow, what a what a choice. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they, you know, who... who somebody would have had to have designed that for her. Hopefully a good friend. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who may also take Prozac. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I'm thinking about this, I was just like imagining all of the people in Hollywood who experience mental health issues, who either have spoken up about their mental health issues or who, you know, died by suicide. And yeah. we don't learn about it until later. Um, Demi Lovato is a huge oh. proponent of talking about mental health. Demi Lovato, if you were listening, my Call phone me. number is 704. <laughs> and I'm 336. <laughs> Carrie Fisher was iconic not only for being a phenomenal actress in the movies that neither of us have seen. (laughs) No. I mean, you've seen a couple of them. You know, Ray, my partner Ray is, like, obsessed. Our dog is named Obi, so. Right. So, he's seen them. He's seen them. I mean, to be fair, our first movie date was to see one of them. I'm so sorry. I couldn't tell you which one. (laughs) But we went. so telling. It was about three years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. So whichever one was coming out about that time. I think it was Solo about Han 
You could literally say any name, and I would just be like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. <laughs> I'm um, going to start doing that. <laughs> just, like, planting <laughs> fake information. Hashtag fake news. <laughs> We're trying to be credible here, Allie. Okay. But please do that occasionally. <laughs> okay. So she was also known for speaking openly with wit and courage about her struggle with mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, I have quotes from Carrie Fisher scattered throughout my whole topic today. Perfect. So you're going to hear a lot of them. Good. Uh, but here's your first one. One of the things that baffles me is how there can be so much lingering stigma with regards to mental illness, specifically bipolar disorder. In my opinion, living with manic depression takes a tremendous amount of balls. Fuck yes, Carrie Fisher. I hate that I did not realize how badass she was until I started doing this research. Right. Um, But the reason we're talking about Carrie Fisher is she wrote several books. Um, Her most recent one and the one that is relevant to today's topic is called Shockaholic, Mm -hmm. which discusses her voluntary use of electroconvulsive therapy. Shock therapy. (gasps) Her she did her it on voluntary purpose? use. Wow! Oh, I never knew that. Ongoing, continuous, voluntary use of ECT. Isn't that an outdated practice? We're gonna get into it. Okay. I'm so excited. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> I um, knew somebody. I see. I know somebody. Ooh, this your turn. This okay. Time. Who do you know? I know somebody whose grandmother got electro electroshock therapy. Electroshock therapy. Mm-hmm. Yes. I know someone whose mom is a nurse who still gives electric shock therapy. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Yep. I think yours might trump mine. Knowing someone who's actually received it, I don't think I know anyone who. Electric shock therapy was first conducted in the 1930s by two Italian psychiatrists, Ugo Serletti and Luigi Benny. Hmm. My Italian is fantastic. Mm-hmm. By I always wanted to say "wee oui, wee," oui. <laughs> but that is not right. <laughs> However, compulsive interventions have been used to treat mental disorders since the 16th century. People had already basically discovered that inducing seizures, which is kind of the purpose of electric shock therapy, is you're uh-huh. inducing a seizure. We're going to talk more about that in just a second. Hold your questions. Okay. Could relieve the symptoms of mental illness. Before electric shock therapy, this was primarily done with chemicals or, like, medications. However, apparently the meds were pretty traumatic. Like, as soon as you took them, you started feeling pretty violently ill before the seizure seizure was actually induced. Mm-hmm. So psychiatrists were trying to come up with a way to induce seizures that were less frightening. And almost immediately they were like, let's shock people. That's less frightening than medication. Sure. Let's tie you down. <laughs> This took off almost immediately and was shortly by, like, the 1940s. This was the end of the 1930s. So mm-hmm. within two to five years, was used all over the world. Wow. Electric shock therapy became popular in the 1940s, around the time that psychiatric hospitals began became overrun with patients. And it began to replace lobotomies, which we are saving for a later episode. Mm-hmm. Holy yeah. fascinating. Oh, Sucker Punch. That's Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be a fun cult movie. Yeah, what? Is it a cult movie? Gotta be. I have it on DVD, so it's gotta be. (laughs) Because you only own cult movies. I only own, like, obscure. Yeah. Lobotomies would reduce a patient to a, quote, manageable, submissive state. And the benefit of electric shock therapy, or ECT, is that it helped 
improve the mood. So it didn't like make you, mm-hmm. it didn't put you into a vegetative state. By the 1970s and 80s, pharmaceuticals began to be used for severe mental disorders. So ECT, which had been a first-line resort, suddenly became a last mm-hmm. last pick uh, treatment. All right. You've got so many questions. I saw you get so excited a second ago. And I wanted to get the, through the history yeah. so I could actually tell you about ECT. So I never thought about it inducing seizures. Like right. visually, like that's obviously what's happening, but I never, I never connected those two in, in my mind. So I don't know if you touched on this in your research, but like, how does it all like work? Like, so we're going to get there. And really the answer is that no one actually knows. Okay. So I kind of like you, I thought the seizure was a byproduct or a side effect. Mm-hmm. I assumed it had something to do with like literally we rewiring the brain, mm-hmm. like connecting synapses and you know making things function differently Mm -hmm. but it kind of feels like shooting into the dark like you don't actually know Um, but apparently the seizure is the goal not the consequence Mm. however it's not a full like grand mall seizure the way that you see in movies right okay it's not like muscles are are don't typically contract the way that you expect them to it's all in your brain and the purpose of it is to essentially, like, reset yourself? Theoretically. Okay. Theoretically. So huh. we'll get into that a little bit more, too. Wow. I know. This is a lot for a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> we have champagne. Yeah. I should have asked you to prepare your body before we yeah. got into this too far. So many critics have portrayed ECT as a form of medical abuse, and depictions in film and television are usually really scary. Yet, many psychiatrists, and more importantly, patients, consider it to be a safe and effective treatment for severe depression and bipolar disorder. Few medical treatments have such desperate images. So, this one, I think because of, like, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Mm -hmm. other, like, really common portrayals, scared people, Mm -hmm. uh, which feels valid to me because when you think about volts going through your brain, we're going to talk about that in a second, too. Like, it sounds terrifying, but a lot of the patients actually seem to prefer it over some other treatments. Huh. So Clearly. Apparently. Your name... Carrie Fisher was a big... Buddy Carrie. Yeah. ECT is a treatment where doctors induce a generalized seizure, with uh, meaning without muscular convulsions, to manage mental disorders. Typically, 70 to 120 volts are put into your brain for about one second to six seconds. And they're pulsed. They're not... It used to be like a continuous Continuous. stream. But now it's pulsed. Um, So what does 100... Okay, so they're still doing this shit today. Yes. Who is doing this? Ooh, I did that research too. We're getting there. Okay. It's at the bottom though, so you're going to have to wait for a few more pages. But what does 120 volts feel like? I don't know. Do you want to know? Yeah. No. Not really. (laughs) So uh, You're going to tell me anyway. (laughs) I am. So it feels kind of like they equate it to a taser, but really it's if you were to hit your funny bone about as hard as you possibly could, Okay, that's what it feels like. Huh. Like numbing and except all over your body. Right. Numbing and tingling. Okay. Okay. mm, Okay. Yep. I think Um, I'm going to say that a lot. Yes, you will. Okay. I mean, I feel like I caught you off guard a little bit with this topic. 
I and thought we were going to talk about birth order again or <laughs> something nice and fluffy. Happy chemicals in your mm-hmm. brain, mm-hmm. which I'm going to do eventually, but... False. We're talking about fucking shock therapy on a Tuesday. I almost did lobotomies. You're welcome. Okay. It's important to know that electric shock therapy is only administered with informed consent in treatment-resistant, prolonged, or severe conditions where, quote, there's a need for rapid, definitive response because of the severity of a psychiatric or medical condition. Okay? So it's only administered at this moment Mm -hmm. in time, theoretically, Mm -hmm. to patients who are able to give their consent, who all of their treatments do not work, Mm -hmm. and their life is at an imminent risk so severe depression severe schizophrenia severe bipolar disorder nothing else is working so it it, am i accurate in then thinking that it's kind of a toss-up whether it's going to work since it's considered a last resort i'm going to give you some data on that too oh my god well i just shut up and then you just (laughs) tell me your story well you're not going to like this next part okay okay It has also been used to treat autism in adults and those with intellectual disabilities who could not give consent. No. Not a fan. No. Uh, Stop trying to fucking cure disabled people when our society is the problem and not them. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't. Mm -hmm. The medical field is so fucked. The mental health field can also be super fucked. Yeah, we're all doomed. Yeah. Anyways, it was considered a safe and effective intervention approved by the FDA, reapproved by the FDA, in 2018 to treat uh, catatonia, I think I'm pronouncing, like catatonic state. Okay. Yep. Uh, major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia. We need a little Carrie Fisher. Are you ready for yeah, another I Carrie guess. Fisher quote? Okay. Yep. At times, being bipolar can be an all-consuming challenge, requiring a lot of stamina and even more courage. So if you're going to live with this illness and function at all, it's something to be proud of, not ashamed of. They should issue medals along with a steady stream of medication. Mm. God, I love Carrie Fisher. You know, everybody has this assumption about people who are famous or like, you know, public figures that they have it all together because it's literally part of their job to essentially distract people from their own realities. Yeah. So I think they kind of seem untouchable from a lot of things in general, but mental health depression anxiety um you know well and i think that a lot of these mental health issues are on the rise too and not just because shit sucks but also because we have more of an awareness now like there's Mm -hmm. now a name for the blues it's not just you're sad all the time like Mm -hmm. major depressive disorder generalized anxiety like these bipolar disorders schizophrenia um these are things that exist and are real and there's data to back them up Mm um i mean schizophrenia has been a common diag well i'm not going to say common but it has been a diagnosis for a long time Mm -hmm. but i feel like more and more people are understanding what depression actually means Mm -hmm. and like maybe our parents generation our grandparents generation who are just like get over it get over it suck it up Mm -hmm. that's not possible well and and you know the diagnosis goes back to the dsm changing right mm-hmm. well yes so the dsm-5 oh we've already covered that mm-hmm. i'm so glad we got that out of the way <laughs> 
But the DSM-5 recently came out and has been widely used since uh, 2014, I think. Uh, 15, maybe. It was about the time I went to grad school. So it had all these updates. Um, and depression, anxiety, and whatnot have been in there for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I think the criteria has just become increasingly more clear as we've gotten more accurate yeah. research. Yeah. And that's what healthcare professionals are looking to for diagnosis. Right. Uh, parameters. Yeah. 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 Makes sense to me. Amen. So how does ECT work? I don't know. Do you want to know? I'm going to tell you anyways. (laughs) It's okay, Dolly. Mommy's here. There are several different ways that ECT functions. Okay. There's unilateral ECT, which is where they put both electrodes on the same side of your head. Okay. Um, And it's, from what I understand, theoretically, to induce a seizure on like in one hemisphere more so than the other that makes sense do you know because you know left brain right brain that totally makes sense is it intended for the same side or the opposite side what do you mean like if i put my two shocks on my right side is that intended to affect my right brain or my left i already had eight pages of notes so i did not you have eight pages of notes well close oh my god with sources let me pour some more wine. <laughs> so unilateral ECT, right, both electrodes, same side of the, of the head, which stimulates one hemisphere over the other and may be first used to minimize side effects such as memory loss. Mm-hmm. So that's one benefit of doing the one side. Okay. Is so it may not impact, like, certain structures of the brain that exist somewhere in the middle, like the amygdala, the hypothalamus, so Mm -hmm. on and so forth, don't exist within the hemispheres. So if you're only shocking one half of the brain, Mm -hmm. you may leave those pieces more Mm -hmm. alone. The hippocampus? Sure. Is that, that's the one part. Absolutely. That you didn't, that you mentioned that I (laughs) also remember. What's, uh, ah, damn it. That's memory. That's your memory part. Okay, that's what I meant then. Your memory bits. Yep. I'm, trying to remember that water boy quote about why crocodiles are always in such a bad mood it's because of their brain huh do you remember that not okay i don't think i was allowed to watch it oh we watched it on repeat thanks to little brother a sheltered sheltered (laughs) life uh he said it was because they ain't got no they got all them teeth and no toothbrush oh (laughs) anyways okay um Bilateral ECT is the electrodes are placed on opposite sides of the head, usually on the temples, but sometimes over each eye. Oh, really? Yep. And patients most often will do bilateral because it's more effective at lower doses. Mm. So memory that's the low, one I'm, I'm used to seeing. Yeah, in that's the, the one I think that's more commonly portrayed. ECT is given under anesthesia. And mm. the patient is given a mus- muscle relaxant first. Okay. So they're pretty, like, loosey-goosey by the time they pump 120 volts into your right. brain. Right. Which makes sense. Which makes sense to me. Yeah. I'm wondering when these regulations came aboot because, you know, sometimes all these things, all the consent and whatnot was not mandatory, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Speaking of consent... In the 1950s, electric shock therapy was used as a treatment for homosexuality. No, no. I don't think I prepared you adequately no, for that one. No, you did uh, not. It was. Uh, I'm getting shrill. <laughs> <laughs> it was an illness. It was considered an illness based in the DSM, and 
just generally speaking. And I think it's one of the many reasons that we don't like to look at behavior, like we don't want to medicalize behaviors. Like who you love is not a reason to have 120 volts pumped through your head. into your body. And clearly that was not going to be voluntary. That was going to be people in institutions. Right. Who had been committed by fucking family members. Right. Do yourselves a favor. Just love yourself and your family and everyone. Yep. Amen. Amen. Also, that was the situation in um, American Horror Story Asylum. I know. I need to go back and rewatch it. Uh, love Sarah Paulson. Also, can we talk about how her girlfriend uh-huh. was from But I'm a Cheerleader? I know. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about that at all. We didn't. We forgot. But we're talking about it now, given all kinds of details about... <laughs> How many different episodes have we referenced in this one episode? She's, um, so in the Asylum season. Right. Who's the main girl? Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson, her, her, her girlfriend, her partners in the, that season is, uh. Clea Duvall. Yes. From, but I'm a cheerleader. You have a gift. I have Truly a gift. and deeply a gift. Um, I thought you were going to say that her, Sarah Paulson, like the actress's wife, who's mm-hmm. like in her 80s, was in But I'm a Cheerleader. No. And I was like, I don't think so. But she was in The L Word. She was in The L Word. <laughs> Link up there. <laughs> and we're back to the chart. She's, she, that's when Bet says, uh, she was like, I was a lesbian in 1974. And, and she was like, well, that's, that's what we call a hasbian. <laughs> <laughs> so many great references. Makes me want to go back and watch But I'm a Cheerleader. So, multiple... Okay, in the U.S., we are able to give people electric shock therapy or electroconvulsive therapy, Mm -hmm. also known as shock therapy, like up to three times a week. In most of the rest of the world, it's only twice a week. Hmm. Fun fact, Rooney. Until the patient is no longer suffering symptoms. So, this could go on for about 12 weeks, I think, is pretty average. Wow. Studies have shown that for unipolar and bipolar depression, so either major depressive disorder or bipolar depression, that there was a remission rate of about 51% for people with major depression and 53% for those with bipolar depression in 2012. Hmm. So about half of the people who received treatment, a little over half, who received treatment of ECT had remission when they were done with treatment. Hmm. However... About 50% of those relapsed by 12 months after having successful treatment with ECT, even when they're taking antidepressants Mm. and other medication. So realistically, we're looking at a 25% long-term success. Yeah, and that's not measured past 12 months. Well, you gotta measure past 12 months. You just gotta. That is why I think we need to be really, really supporting and financing Science, uh-huh. so that we can know things. That's my <laughs> statement. <laughs> Science, so that we can know things. I love it. Thanks. Um, you heard I, it here first. <laughs> I think that if there was more funding in mental health, um, that we would see a reduction in people incarcerated, a reduction in people receiving, you know, long-term mental health services. If we could figure out how to provide treatment sooner, mm-hmm. so many things. But no one wants to talk about that because we have a for-profit prison system and our healthcare system screws us all over. Buh, 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 buh. That's why we have a podcast. <laughs> to talk about all the shit that That's we care right. about. 
Okay, so side effects. Um, brief general anesthesia. Of course, you're under anesthesia while mm-hmm. you're receiving treatment. Mm-hmm. But there's also like some transient memory loss, confusion, and muscle soreness. So really, the side effects, there's some long-term side effects that impact memory um, or that show that memory can be impacted. But they're actually pretty mild side effects. Hmm. So here's a question that you asked earlier. What does it actually do? Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Yeah. We don't know. There have been multiple decades of research um, about the like mechanism of action is what they call it. Like what about ECT makes it effective? And ultimately it remains elusive. A recent hypothesis suggests that the seizures cause a change in sleep architecture that might have some therapeutic results. There are some other theories about, you know, just reconnecting synapses. Ultimately, we just don't fucking know. We just don't know. It works for about half the people for anywhere from a month to 12 months is what we got. You know, at this point, though, if it's if it's that they're electing to do it, at least maybe that there's a chance of relief in some type yeah. of way. So I mean, I don't the fault side effect, anybody. Yeah, me either. And the side effects are minimal. I mean, I think I think having the, the stigma and the media perception of ECT has tainted my brain. Oh, absolutely it has. So I'm much more open to it now. Yeah. Although... It's a, it's a lot like a lot of medical procedures. They're like, it could work or it could not work. It really just depends on you yeah. and your body. Yeah, and your brain mm-hmm. and your needs. Mm-hmm. As of 2001, which was the most recent data I could find, it was estimated that about 1 million people around the world receive electric shock therapy annually. Do we know anything about the regulations outside of the U.S.? A little bit. Um, it's still really popular in Europe, mm-hmm. of course. Um, Italy, perhaps? Italy, perhaps. The U.K. Mm-hmm. is. I saw a lot of data about the U.K. I didn't dig too deep into it because mm-hmm. I really wanted to make sure that we were focusing on the American system because the healthcare piece of this comes into play in a minute. Okay. Let but me guess. None of it's covered under insurance. <laughs> actually, it is. Oh. And that's part of the issue. Okay. So we'll talk about that in a second. But a lot of Eastern countries don't buy into ECT. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have their own understandings of medical issues. I read a book recently called The Spirit Catches You When You Fall Down, which is about a Hmong family that moves from Laos to California, Hmm. and their daughter has epilepsy, Mm -hmm. and um, they truly believe that her spirit is, like, leaving her body and coming back to her body when she has a seizure. So Mm -hmm. they equate it with, like, almost being godlike. Like, she's a Mm -hmm. higher... She's more than human. She's a spiritual being. So they just see things like this differently. Yeah. And great book. We'll have to cover it at some point. Totally besides the point. But yeah, people view ECT differently around the world. It's still really popular in Europe and here. It's estimated that about 100,000 Americans receive ECT each year. In the last few decades, the typical ECT patient went from being a low-income male under the age of 40 to a middle-income woman over the age of 65, which is interesting. It's a strange transition. About 70% of ECT patients are women. This could also be because they're more likely to be uh, diagnosed with depression. Or hysteria. 
I feel like we've referenced literally every episode we've made so far in this episode. Whatever. Bingo. Yahtzee. Yahtzee. Done. Older and more affluent patients are more likely to receive ECT. This could be because of the push of insurance companies to oh. provide fast, quote, medical treatment rather than talk therapy. So therapy is often inaccessible to people because many insurance companies don't cover it or only cover a certain amount or you have to like reach this threshold of what you've paid into the system before you know you're able to have a lower rate for therapy so they're more likely to pay for electric shock there or electroconvulsive therapy because it's like a quick fix that's so interesting like what i know about the insurance industry I would think it would be the opposite because a lot of it is about coding. How are things coded? So things that are coded as preventative are often covered under policies. So if you go get a colonoscopy and you feel fine, nothing is wrong, and they find something in your colonoscopy, that is still considered preventative when you know, if you're having issues and then you get a colonoscopy, then it's not preventative anymore. So I would think it would be the opposite. That's a great point, except that in order to be receiving therapy, at least in Maryland, and I don't know about North Carolina, I assume it's, you know, pretty standard, you have to have something. Like, they have to have a reason to bill you for therapy. You can't just go because your friend told you to go. So at some point, like, there's a certain number of sessions that you might be able to go to therapy before they're like, okay, this person has depression or anxiety, and that's for billing purposes. See, that's interesting, and I don't, I'm not, I don't think that you're wrong about that. My experience has been, and it depend, and it's got to depend on what policy you have. Oh, because of you know, a lot of times they cover X number of policy, X number of visits mm-hmm. under, you know, it could be like a specialty copay, it could be your regular right. doctor's visit copay. It's all going to be varying on what you're spending. Yeah, but for a therapist to, like, especially therapists working with Medicaid when they submit for billing Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like they have to have something on paper saying that this person needs therapy Mm -hmm. otherwise they won't cover it at all yeah my experience is not in the public sector yeah Yeah. but that's one of the ways that our system is just so messed up Mm -hmm. i mean i have had to explain how the u.s um, insurance system works to somebody who has just moved to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a bunch of like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and you're like, no, I know, but it's how we do it. Sorry. Yeah, we're aware. It makes no sense. They're like, so it's a copay. And then you get the bill. And then you have a deductible, but I'm mm-hmm. paying for insurance. So what the fuck am I paying for? Great question. That's we don't actually know. Question. Nothing, really. I'm still working on some medical bills myself from a year and a half ago. So this is also maybe the most controversial psychiatric treatment, especially when you think about effectiveness versus side effects. It seems to have some short-term effects, but is often seen as a quick and easy solution instead of long-term psychotherapy or hospitalization. Some researchers suggest that no study proves that ECT is effective for more than four weeks. Four weeks. Fuck. Some, yeah. Well, 
But honestly, like if you are in such a low place, yeah, that ECT is your option, and it gives you four weeks reprieve from whatever is going on in your brain. Mm-hmm. Like four weeks might be worth it. Yeah, I wonder how long it takes. Is it that's assuming that you're doing like the average like twelve weeks or whatever? I, I guess, yeah, yeah. All right, so we are going to wrap up with a final two Carrie Fisher quotes. Okay. Because we need to, like... Build me up, buttercup. (laughs) Well, and I think that you... One of the things that I enjoyed most about doing this topic was that it really changed my perception of ECT. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I learned so much just doing the research and I already knew that like it was still a common practice and that it wasn't actually as harmful as a lot of the media portrays it to be. Right. With consent. Right. With consent. And I think that just talking to you has made me feel even better about it. So. Well, you're so welcome. I love having you here. (laughs) Carrie says, I've had to rise to occasions, not just on the stage, in order to survive, so that bruising is my blessing and those liabilities are my strength now. Mm. Hilariously, after all the drug addiction and celebration of marriage and mental illness and divorce and shock treatment and heartbreak and motherhood and childhood and neighborhood and hood in general, I've turned out to be, at close to 70, a kind of happy person. Go figure. Which I, I love, love for her. that. I yes, know. Carrie, I feel close to her. I do, too. I'm so connected mm-hmm. to someone who's buried in a Prozac pill. Yeah, that's fucking wild. <laughs> what an interesting choice that she made. That would have had to have been a pre-death choice. Well, yes. Um, <laughs> it made maybe me... she visited somebody afterwards. Don't laugh at me. That's fair. <laughs> um, I also am going to go home and journal tonight and be like, when I die, what do I want my urn to no. look like? No, I, I forebode you. Uh, <laughs> I am thinking like a Matryoshka doll, like the nesting dolls, just... Mm. Oh, spoiler alert. Okay, so the so Hanson's on the the mass Singer right now, and they're in the Russian stocking <gasps> dolls. Oh. Yep. So... Have they made this reveal, or did no, you just figure it out I'm because a you're... expert. Because <laughs> you're a Hanson groupie. I am... Okay, so I... Heard that they possibly might... I, I know that they're, like, more conservative, which, like, goes against everything in my being. Sure. Um, but I choose to ignore it. We all do. <laughs> um, my sister called me, and she was like, so her sister-in-law thinks that Hans is on The Masked Singer. Like, she sent me, like, the YouTube video. I heard one single note, and I was like, that's fucking them. <laughs> She's right. Ten points for Gryffindor. It is them. Bless. I love I it. I have had more dreams about meeting Hanson than I've had about anything else in my entire life. That tells me so much about <laughs> you and your, and your like brain and how it functions. I don't know why. I feel so connected to them. How many times have you seen Hanson in concert? I think four. But all after the age of 18. I think it was 18. I saw them first on their... Um, great divide tour Uh so that would have had to have been 2010 maybe Mm -hmm. but fun fact i okay so after their their next album was called shout it out i went at midnight to go get it (laughs) (laughs) so 
So I'm driving with my two friends from college in a suburban um, neighborhood. The same one that Shmaleen lives in, but it's not that one. Okay. So we're driving to... I'm in the Avalon. I used to drive a 2003 Toyota Avalon. She was a chunk. (laughs) She had a cowboy sticker on her. A gay cowboy. Gay cowboy. Mm Mm-hmm. I figured that was implied. I'm sorry. No. So anyway, we're driving in the neighborhood, and there's this little deer, this little doe-eyed deer. Oh. Okay, so we drive by. A female deer. Huh? I'm sorry. I was singing doe-a deer. Uh A female deer. There's a deer. We drive by the deer. There's a a truck that's parked there. Mm -hmm. And because we're in fucking Charlotte, North Carolina, we drive by, and they shoot the fucking deer. (gasps) No. So I did a U-turn. No. And I chased them in my car to get their license plate number. I'm and they had a gun. I was literally, I was, I mean, like, I, was, I felt like a baby at the time. I have never been more proud to call you my best friend. Thank you. That's the it most sounds- badass story I've ever heard. It's also the most. I mean, when you're going to Walmart at midnight to get your hands <laughs> and CD. Um, and you see someone shoot Bambi's mom. It was really what sad. What the fuck? I know. Oh God! Which does not transition well into my <laughs> my uh, my part. Oh, what is your topic for this week? I'm While we're here, scared to say. We're gonna. Oh, how can we bring this up? So my topic. I'm gonna transition with a quote because I think we need a palate cleanser. Agreed. Okay, so t- you have to tell me what movie this is from. My father's final Princess word. Princess Bread. <laughs> <laughs> Words <Continue>. were. <laughs> Love her as I love her, and there will be peace in the kingdom, I think, is how it ends. That sounds right. Anyway, I'm going to be talking about last words. I love it. Okay. So what inspired this topic? Well, actually, I kind of started thinking about it after the medieval executioner episode and kind of all the death row stuff, which I'm sure we'll talk about. We got to stop saying I'm sure we'll talk about it. Yeah, we do. It's okay. Someone's last word or final word is basically just like it sounds. It's the last statement they make before death. So this could happen days before. This could happen right before they pass away. It really just depends on the person and Mm -hmm. the circumstances. Mm -hmm. A lot of times these words are recorded. So this could be in personal diaries. This could be, you know as far as like family documentation but most of the time it's documented in courts for liability purposes right mostly for people who die for a purpose or or death row or death row yeah Yeah. um do you talk about eileen warnos i don't have her on my list but we can look her up well, so Eileen Warnos is the lesbian serial killer who was also a sex worker in Florida. There's a great movie about her with Charlize Theron and Christina Ricci mm-hmm. um, called Monster. Highly recommend. But the actual woman, Eileen Warnos, her last words had something to do with coming back on June 6th. Oh. Um, and I'll Google it in a minute. We'll see if we can... Remember. June 6th, what year? She doesn't say. Oh. She's coming back like Jesus, but it's going to be on June 6th. Good to know. Mark yep. your calendar. So we've got, you know, oh, what day does this come out? June 3rd? <gasps> Three days from now? Check. See if you see Eileen Warnos anywhere. Oh, look she around. She looks like Eileen. Look around. <laughs> How lucky we are to be, <laughs> to be alive right now. 
Um, anyways, so check Riley Mornos. So there is a difference. <laughs> there is a differentiation between final words or last words for those who died due to illness versus execution, war, or accident. Makes sense. Those who die by illness may have impaired speech or be unconscious altogether. So that one's kind of a crapshoot as far as getting last words. Right. How easily and accurately are these last words recorded? Often last words are documented for governmental purposes due to liability. Like I just mentioned, I kind of jumped the gun. Um, This goes back many years. It is less likely that final words are recorded and published in civilian households. Uh, published especially. Yeah. A lot of t- unless you're Carrie Ann Watkins and you're doing... Or Carrie Fisher. W- memoirs. Yeah. Of a geisha or otherwise. <laughs> it is important to note that last words can be inaccurately recorded. So, back to authorship, which we've talked about before. If you tell a story enough times, a lot of times that shit's going to change. And so, yeah. sometimes granddaughters, great-granddaughters are recording things that have happened and they might not necessarily be 100% accurate. Right. Meaning that story of your great-great-grandma poisoning somebody and her last words were the confession mm-hmm. were, may have actually been bullshit. How do you know my family's secret? I've known you for how many years? So what I wanted to kind of do today was just do a couple little storytelling about some some last words and who they were what their crimes were certain cases for all of that also interestingly like the last meal is so fascinating to me so that's included just thinking about the last meal Mm -hmm. especially for death row inmates because there's somebody who like just ordered a fuck ton of chick-fil-a and (laughs) and is hamming out so sometimes depending on the year like alcohol can be ordered up until you know they don't do that anymore but that's how i would want to go just write that down five sure all right so thomas j grossa was a 32 year old male double murderer executed by lethal injection in in oklahoma state penitentiary in McAllister, oklahoma united states on march 20th 1995 He strangled a woman named Hilda Johnson, who was an 87-year-old woman, using her Christmas tree lights on Christmas Eve 1990. So when he said double murder, (laughs) I think he said double murder. I was like, well, I mean, compared to a lot of the other people who are on death row, that doesn't sound like quite so bad. But Christmas lights? Christmas lights. She was 87. He stole $8 from her purse. What? How did you get to that point in your life? $4 in loose change. As well as her television set, which was sold for $125. Oh, well. Six months after, or six months later, after moving to New York with his wife, Lena, he murdered Leslie Holtz, an 81-year-old man who lived in uh, Staten Island on July 4th, 1991. So he was the holiday killer. Yeah. Which is, that is weird. But he stole his social security check. Sounds like he had some childhood trauma around Sounds holidays. Sounds like something's going on. Yeah. So he was executed in Oklahoma on March 20th, 1995 for the two murders. He requested that his last meal be SpaghettiOs. Ooh. Okay. So we're really kind of shooting for the moon here. <laughs> but instead, he was given spaghetti and meatballs. Oh, that's a bummer for him. I wonder if it's because they had to order it from somewhere. 
And they're like, I'm not fucking going to the store to make this guy. Like, whose job is it to go get the final meal? You know what I, I mean? mean? If you're about to kill somebody, I feel like you can spring for some SpaghettiOs if that's what the man wants. Also, that would totally be my brother's last meal. Like, what SpaghettiOs it? or ramen would be really? his. Yeah. I like swear that's all he eats. Maybe mac and cheese. Still? Yeah. He's grown. Tell him to He's a whole get adult. over it. I know. But yeah, SpaghettiOs, I feel like, would be a lot cheaper and easier. So. Well, his last words were related to his final meal. Oh. His last words were, quote, I did not get SpaghettiOs. I got spaghetti. I want the press to know this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. All right, so now we're going to talk about Richard Cobb. Cobb, who was 29, spent a decade on death row for the murder of Kenneth Van Dever, a man whom he abducted and later killed in a convenience store robbery 11 years ago. Rob abducted Van Deer, then 37, and two other women whom he shot with a shotgun and left for dead. The women survived to call police, but Van Deer died. Cobb never denied his role in the murder right before execution richard cobb stared into the face of texas prison warden who attended his execution and told him that the lethal drugs just ingested in his body were quote awesome oh why he felt that way right quote life is death death is life I hope that someday this absurdity that humanity has come to will come to an end. Cobb said when he asked for his last words, quote, life is too short. I hope that anyone that has negative energy towards me will resolve that. Life is too short to harbor feelings of hatred and anger. That's it, Warden. He said, according to an Associated Press reporter who witnessed the execution, but Cobb wasn't finished. As the first injection entered his bloodstream, Cobb lifted his head from the gurney on which he he was tied down and craned his neck to stare at the warden who stood behind him. Wow, Cobb shouted. This is great. That is awesome. Thank you, warden. Alicia was grateful. (laughs) Um, So I think that while I'm processing all of these last words and the Mm -hmm. fact that they're all death row inmates... Mm -hmm. And just thinking about how long they spent on death row. And I mean, I'm anti-death penalty. Mm -hmm. And I think you are too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So anti-death penalty people here, it's still fascinating. Like there's. Oh, yeah, it is. And we'll get into some, some quotes. I'm doing, all I'm doing is just some really shallow coverage of a bunch of cases. So we're going to have a ton of opportunity to dissect them all. Perfect. I love that. The next one is a guy you might have heard of. His name is Ted Bundy. Oh, good old Ted. So Jim was one of Ted Bundy's lawyers. Fred was the minister who had spent the night with him. You know, Ted Bundy was like... Jim, Fred, and Ted. Jim, Fred, and Ted walked into a bar. (laughs) So, you know, Ted Bundy was uh, a fucking narcissist and spent his final days essentially like being interviewed by a reporter and is he the one who had the uh head in his freezer or fridge or something when the no, police found him it was not that is jeffrey dahmer yep sorry okay continue uh so ted bundy was the guy who he killed the sorority girls right. in in florida yep. and uh out west as well escape jail so he turned down his last meal 
Bundy was an American serial killer, kidnapper, rapist, burglar, and necrophile who assaulted and murdered numerous young women and girls during the 1970s and possibly later. He was the guy that had the same profile, which was the girls with brown hair with the yep. middle part. So you, basically. Without bangs. It's comforting. Yeah. The bangs really saved you. <laughs> also the fact that you were born 40 years later. Shortly before his execution, and after more than a decade of denials, he confessed to 30 homicides that he committed in seven states between 1974 and 1978. If I had done all that, I think I would have worked up an appetite for a last meal. Right? Also, this article says mean that he turned down his last mean, so I don't know how credible this is. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to roll with it. All of our sources are linked in our website, if anybody's ever curious. The true victim count will forever be unknown and could be much higher than the number to which Bundy confessed, although personally, I think it's the opposite because I think, again, he's a fucking narcissist and he wanted to go out with a bang. I don't know that he necessarily actually did yeah it's hard to say yeah many of bundy's young female victims regarded him as handsome and charismatic which were traits that he exploited to win their trust he would typically approach them in public places um, faking injury or disability or impersonating an authority figure before overpowering and assaulting them at more secluded locations so he was super famous for his volkswagen had it didn't have a handle on the inside of the passenger door. Yeah. So okay, once you're back in the me. vehicle, you're in. You know, I know that so many people in our generation really love serial killers. Mm-hmm. And I do too. Just none of the information sticks. Like, I enjoy listening to it. I just can't keep them all straight. Yep. That's understandable. They're all the same. They're all white men from the 60s and 70s. Except for Eileen Warnos, which might be why she's my favorite. She's the only one I can actually remember. Um, and there are also very few female serial killers. Yeah. Because we don't get caught. <laughs> Subtle. You heard it here first. <laughs> I didn't do a trigger warning, but obviously we're going to be talking about... I mean, he's... Uh, we all kind of know. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So he sometimes revisited his secondary crime scene for hours at a time, grooming and performing sexual acts with the decom- uh, decomposing corpse until wild animals kind of got to it unfortunately i mean you did say necrophilia so i feel like yeah. that was a good trigger warning yeah he he decapitated at least 12 of his victims and for a period of time he kept some of the severed heads as mementos in his apartment so maybe i know you were talking about jeffrey dahmer but yeah but i mean similar vibe on a few occasions he simply broke into um places at night um and bludgeoned his victims in his sleep so that was a bunch of different people, but also those uh, sorority girls in Florida. Bundy was executed in the electric chair at Florida State Prison on January 24th, 1989. Biographer Ann Rule described him as, quote, a sadistic sociopath who took pleasure from another human's pain and the control he had over his victims to the point of death and even after. He once called himself the most cold-hearted son of a bitch you'd ever meet. Attorney... Paul Nelson, a member of his last defense team, wrote, quote, Ted was the very def- definition of heartless and evil. And his final words were, Jim and Fred, I'd like you to give my love to my family and friends. Oh, don't know how many friends he had left or how much love he had. Yep. But whatever it was, he was what, given it. Whatever it was. 
Jimmy L. Glass was an American convicted murderer executed by the state of Louisiana. He is probably best known not for his crime, but as a petitioner in the U.S. Supreme Court case Glass v. Virginia. Before committing a capital crime, Glass already had a criminal record. With the fellow inmate Jimmy Wingo, which is great name. Fantastic name. Glass escaped from the Webster Parish, Louisiana jail in December of 1982. And during their escape, they killed Newton Brown and his wife, Erlene Neely Brown, at their home in Dixie Inn outside Minden, which all sound like made up places. (laughs) I was about to say, is any of that real? (laughs) The Brown's son, Gary was the son-in-law of Judge Charles A. Marvin of the Louisiana Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit based in Shreveport. Can you imagine naming a kid Gary? (laughs) Not once, not never. (laughs) (laughs) But hey. He'll always be a snail to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But hey, Shreveport. Hey, Shreveport. What's up? Bless your heart. Love (laughs) y'all. So Glass and Wingo were also arrested. Both were sentenced to death in the electric jaw. Glass made headlines in 1985 as a petitioner in the Supreme Court case. He argued that executions by by electrocution violate the 8th and 14th Amendment in the United States Constitution as, quote, cruel and unusual punishment. I agree. But the court by Major 5-4, found that the electrocution as an authorized method of execution is constitutional. I have so many thoughts about the death penalty. I know. And I know that that's not actually what we're here for today, so I will save the majority of them. However, it's totally cruel and unusual punishment, and the fact that we still still have the death penalty in the U.S. is Mm -hmm. barbaric. Granted, we don't have the electric chair. I mean, I guess that's progress, but... Not by much. Nope. That's all we have. <laughs> okay, Don't continue. want that. Glass was electrocuted on June 12th, 1989 at the age of 25 and became the 78th person executed in the United States since 1977. At 25? At 25. Oh, my God. Yep. And his last words were, quote, I'd rather be fishing. Same. Same. So let's talk about John Wayne Gacy. He was the guy who dressed up like a clown. Uh-huh. Remember that? He, Vaguely. Yes. So he sexually assaulted and killed young boys and buried them under his house. It's coming back to me now. Okay. So on his way to execution, Gacy told a prison guard, quote, kiss my ass. Now that's a hell of a way to go out. Mm-hmm. According to his hometown newspaper and the Chicago Tribune, his last meal was 12 fried shrimp. Oh. A 12-piece bucket of original recipe KFC chicken. Maybe that's what I was thinking. Maybe it wasn't Chick-fil-A. Maybe it was KFC. Mm. I knew someone had some chicken. French fries. Good choice. And a pound of strawberries. Interesting. Mm -hmm. A pound. I mean, it's not hard to do. They're kind of... They're pretty dense. So... Gacy was an American serial killer and rapist. He sexually assaulted, tortured, and murdered at least 33 teenage boys and young men between 1972 and 1978 in Cook County, Illinois. Illinois. Why did I put an S in Illinois? Oh my God, Who are you? I hate myself. 
I think it was getting ready. I was excited about making the point. Like, you can't kill 33 people in the same county and expect them not to link it to you. Right. Like, spread it out. Come on. (laughs) I love that we're giving advice to serial killers. (laughs) All of Gacy's known murders were committed inside his ranch, his house. Mm -hmm. His victims were typically kind of lured to his house or forced uh, by deception. And all but one victim were murdered by either asphyxiation or strangulation with a makeshift tourniquet. His first victim was stabbed. Gacy buried 26 of his victims in the crawl space of his house. Three other victims were buried elsewhere on his property, while the bodies of his last four victims were discarded at uh, a river nearby. He was married, right? He was married. What does it take for a wife to not notice... That's a great question. Also, the smell. Yeah. 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 We know how women feel about their houses smelling good. Yeah. Also, like, I'm going off script here, but like, he had all these kids come work on his house. So they would, he would literally take them into the basement and be like, we're going to work on plumbing. Like, can you help me, you know, work on the plumbing? And they would literally dig their own graves. Absolutely not. When, so at what point was he dressing up like a clown? Because, he wasn't, like, dressed up like a clown while he was asking kids to build their own graves. No, no, no. The clown thing is just something that he did, like, For as fun? a side hustle, which is <laughs> an interesting choice. Hashtag side hustle. So, but his... I'm glad you brought that up because his uh, Pogo the Clown is his, like, yeah. alter ego. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, like, drew self-portraits of himself, which, like, sell... You can buy them. And I want one. Is that who inspired the clown from... From it? American Horror Story. From whatever season. Was it... From Freak, Freak Show? Show? Uh, no, I don't think so. But it's kind of a similar vibe, right? Well, I mean, he's terrifying, if that's what you mean. That's what I would call a similar vibe, yes. But less like, like, knock you over and drag you away. Well, I guess not. No, I'm I'm pretty sure that they're similar vibes. Uh, they are similar vibes. Was he? Did he inspire the clown from it? No. Oh, okay. No. I don't have. Do That's you have Stephen of, King. He has a yeah. mind of his own. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you have a fear of clowns? Not, um, not particularly. Me either. And I know a lot of people who do. A lot and of people. Given really all of this, I understand why. I think it's because I love Tim Curry. Yeah. And he was a clown. He was the original it. The OG. The O I T. <laughs> oh, Rocky. So he spent 14 years on death row before he was executed by lethal injection uh, on May 10th, 1994. And they do have his last words documented as kiss my ass. If you got to go out and you know you're about to go out, kiss my ass are about mm-hmm. as good as any short phrase I can think of. Yep. All right, we're um, we're hitting on all my guys. Okay. Because we're going to talk about H.H. Holmes. Ooh. Mm -hmm. So Herman Webster Mudgett, better known as Dr. Henry Howard Holmes, or more commonly known as H.H. Holmes, was an American serial killer of the 19th century. While he confessed to 27 murders, only nine could be plausibly confirmed, and several of the people who he claimed to have murdered were still alive. So he was full of shit. But he yeah. did kill... We know he At killed... At least a few people. He killed a lot of his wives, because he was married multiple times. Right. 
We know he killed one of his partners in his scheme and his wife. He also killed children. You know what would be interesting is, and I know that you're covering mostly all men, mostly men. Yeah, men are terrible, so they're all listed, yeah. Fair. Um, but there was the Black Widow of Burlington. Yeah. Uh, Blanche. And was her name Blanche? I don't know, but I know who you're talking about. Yep. Um, I'm curious to find out, you know, just more women and what their last words were and how they compare and, like, what's the Venn diagram for that look like? That? Cuss words and all. Yeah. He is commonly said to have killed as many as 200. Many victims were said to have been killed in a max, in a uh, building that he owned, which we know is like, you know, he turned his hotel. He would have people yeah. who were coming to the World's Fair in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He would have them stay in his hotel and then um, he would kill them. He also was notorious for taking out life insurance policies on people that he knew. Um, he worked for a short time as a pharmacist. Um, took out a life insurance policy on the owner of the company, and then that person mysteriously died. That's why he had a lot of wives, none of which were legal, of course, because he'd been married, you know, multiple right. times over. Right. Um, also, the you know they were unaware that he had other partners in general. He would take out life insurance policies on them. He also owned a store that he would require the employees to take out life insurance policies. Mm -hmm. And a couple of them went missing. Can I share a quick conspiracy theory? Yeah. Because I just Googled H.H. Holmes because I wanted to find out his dates. So this is H.H. Holmes who ran what they call the murder castle. Mm -hmm. Holmes was renowned for being a document keeper. However, 1888 and 1891, which were the times that Jack of Jack the Ripper and the Ripper murders, mm. Holmes had no documents. Hmm. So there might be some beliefs that H.H. Um, H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper are the same person. I don't think that's true. I don't think so either, but what a cool conspiracy theory. Jack like, I the could Ripper, fall down that rabbit hole real quick. Unless he changed his M.O. because Jack the Ripper killed sex workers. And was really meth- like messy and methodical. And he wrote to the press. Right. And he wrote in blood weird things they brothers they let me just go down a rabbit hole real quick because i get excited yeah so they know that or they believe um jack the ripper to be somebody who was either like a not a mechanic but a like a medical professional Uh or a butcher yeah because his victims uh so he preyed on victims in the middle of the night he would often find sex workers who were basically hanging out on the streets. At that time in London, you could rent rooms by the night, but there were a lot of people who were experiencing homelessness, and basically they had nowhere to go. So he uh, killed them all with a blade, mm-hmm. but he was one of the first people that wrote to the press, and that's why everybody's obsessed with him, because he he wrote notes on one of the bodies, and they found it, and they published it. Right. Uh, he also tried to write in blood. It's all this crazy stuff. They also think that he came to Wilmington, North Carolina. They're, they think they've tied him to a murder in Wilmington. Really? Mm-hmm. Shout out to Wilmington. Also, my sister was telling me, because she lives in Austin, and she said that there's a murderer in, in Austin that also kind of fits the M.O. of um, Jack the Ripper. So they they never caught him. Uh, they have theories about who he was, but never made an arrest. So the the biggest thought is that 
you know, this guy's not going to stop killing. So he got the fuck out of London. Yeah. And, and he came had to, to the US. somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Maybe through Wilmington and then. And then down to Texas. Down to Texas. Always. Because everything's that's where... bigger in Texas. <laughs> um, Including the murders. Even the murders. Yeah. I could just talk about it all the time. All day. But besides being a serial killer, H.H. Holmes was a con artist and a bigamist, as I mentioned. The subject of more than 50 lawsuits in Chicago alone. Which I didn't know. 50? Mm Mm-hmm. Who has the time? Who's got the time? That's a great question. (laughs) He also sold, um, sold the skeletons of his victims to universities. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. do remember reading that. Yeah. So H.H. H. Holmes was executed on May 7th, 1896, nine days before his 35th birthday. He was a busy man. He got up very early in the morning. <laughs> That's um, I'm not a morning person. And he was not finally, a killer. He was finally convicted of the murder of his friend and accomplice, Benjamin uh, Patezel. Benjamin Button. Benjamin Button, Brad Pitt. During his trial for the murder, he confessed to numerous other... Of course um, he did. ...murders. Yeah. Um, But his final words were, quote, take your time, old man. He was in no... He'd already accomplished everything he needed to accomplish. He was done. So what I would like to do is move to some historical figures. All right, so we're going to be talking about Kimberly McCarthy... Kimberly McCarthy was an American death row inmate who was convicted and sentenced to death in 1997 for the murder of her neighbor, who was a 71-year-old retired college professor named Dorothy Booth. And this was in Lancaster, Texas. Of course. So it was said that she was, the neighbor died when Kimberly was trying to rob either her or her uh, place of residence. She was also suspected in the murder of two other elderly Texan women um, for which she was never tried. After her final federal appeal was denied in July 2012, her execution date was set for January 29th, 2013. Her execution date was pushed twice to June 26, 2013. McCarthy continued to proclaim her innocence for her crime and stated that she was framed for murder. On June 26, 2013, McCarthy was executed by the state of Texas by lethal injection, becoming the 500th person to be executed by the state of Texas using this method. And her final words were, quote, this is not a loss. This is a win. You know where I'm going. I'm going home to be with Jesus. Keep the faith. I love y'all. Thank you, chaplain. Amen. Amen. That's so sad. I know. All right, let's get on. My last one is going to be your very best friend, Jeffrey Dahmer. Head in, a, head in a fridge. Head in a fridge. So Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer, also known as the Milwaukee Cannibal, yep. was an American serial killer and sex offender who committed the rape and murder and dismemberment of 17 men and boys between 1978 and 1991. Many of his later murders involved necrophilia, cannibalism, and the permanent preservation of body parts typically all or part of the skeleton well and the peen he really liked the peen right <gasps> mm-hmm. 
pretty sure that there were some jars of pins around. Yeah, there were ears and all kinds of shit. Yeah. He yeah. didn't have, like, a nipple belt like um, the other guy. But. Right. Although diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, uh, schizotypical personality disorder. Schizotopal. Schizotopal, thank you. And a psychotic disorder. Sure. Uh, Dahmer was found to be legally sane at his trial. Convicted of 15 of the 16 murders he had committed in Wisconsin, Dahmer was sentenced to 15 terms of life imprisonment on February 15, 1992. He was later sentenced to 16 terms of life imprisonment for an additional homicide committed in Ohio in 1978. On November 28, 1994, Dahmer was beaten to death by Christopher Scarver, a fellow inmate at the Columbia Correctional Institute, and claimed, quote, I don't care if I live or die, go ahead and kill me, were his last words. I listened to a podcast about Dahmer recently, hmm. which a lot of the true crime podcasts don't cover the popular people anymore because, like, they've been so overdone. Yeah. But for people like me, whose short-term memory with uh, serial killers is exceedingly short, <laughs> it was good to hear. Um, and it was fascinating because Dahmer has a brother, like a younger brother, who's, I think, relatively normal. And we know that, like, mental health isn't often or ever an indicator of familial health. Mm -hmm. And his father's Um, the same way. He wrote a book. Yeah. Yeah. My son, was it My Son Dahmer? I don't know the name of it, but he did like a whole press tour. He was on Oprah. Yeah. Was like, basically he went out to be like, I don't know. It's crazy, right? (laughs) Well, and I think it's just so interesting. And it goes back to a lot of this idea of what drives people to this point. And for Dahmer, who did have diagnoses, Mm -hmm what treatments could have been made available to him? Like, if people had recognized it early enough, if he had had access. What's interesting, what I know about that particular case is that his dad said that the only really red flags were that he was a withdrawn child, which I think is only a red flag in hindsight Yeah, when you're trying to equate behavior with... Didn't he also start torturing animals or something at a younger age? He did collect. uh, Yes, he did kill. He did kill animals. um, Yeah, but that wasn't known. I think to the family until after. But he did like he did go around on his bike like looking for dead animals. Yeah, yeah, and that was known to like the kids in the neighborhood, but never to the parents. Well, and when we think about kids who are just different, like you don't want to point out the kids who are different and assume that they're going to grow up to be serial killers because the chances are really small mm-hmm. but i just like i worry about your kid becoming a serial killer i get it yeah anyways so ca how do these topics intersect <laughs> <laughs> i love that every week you look to me like i'm gonna have I the do. answer it's hard <laughs> um i also feel like like we were talking about at the beginning when you end with or not mm-hmm. and then you're like okay so it's my part Let's now shove it off like on we you automatically well, switch here so i think the most um obvious would be like what you had mentioned earlier with you know death by electrocution which i don't love so i don't really yeah. want to go there but um i i think that electrical currents being in both of our stories sure. is a intersection Let's just bring it up a little bit. I did Google Eileen Warnos' last words. She's my favorite serial killer. 
if we have to have a favorite serial killer. You do. It's it's part of the curriculum. <laughs> it's part of being a millennial and listening the narrative. to podcasts over 2020. Everyone picked a serial killer. It's divided. It really is. It's like yeah. a Hogwarts house, I'm telling you. Okay, so my Hogwarts house is Eileen Warnos. Okay. Also, because I think that her story is so traumatic. Oh, Like, yeah. she tried to get out of sex work and wasn't able to find a job. She found love. She wasn't able to actually have her needs met. And then she was sexually assaulted and reportedly only, I think, murdered, initially only murdered the people who sexually assaulted her. Yeah. And was still sentenced to death and uh, died on October 9th of 2002 at the age of 46. 46. Death by lethal injection. Um, Her last words were, yes, I would like to say that I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie, big mothership and all, I'll be back. I'll be back. Well, you heard it here first, folks. We'll see you in three (laughs) days, girly. Some people are probably listening to this on June 6th. Oh, that's true. Mm -hmm. So look over your shoulder. So those of you who are listening on June 6th, if you see a woman walking around with a mullet. Oh, um, like a glorious mullet. Glorious mullet who has some weird facial expressions. um, Mm -hmm. Super pissed. Yeah. Pretty jaded. Also, go watch the movie Monster. Oh, yeah. Oh, She won an Academy Award for that, I think. It was fun. Charlize Theron Mm -hmm. is a gorgeous woman Mm -hmm. and to be able to pull off Eileen Warnos as well as she did was phenomenal I don't know how far into this uh, podcasting thing we have to be to cover monster but it's near the top of my cult movie list okay it's done does it it count as a cult movie I'm going to count it as a cult movie we can do whatever we want I love that all right well thank you guys so much for listening to us ramble on our podcast we love each and every one of you if you support us please head over to our patreon it is patreon.com slash pod without an odd um you can donate at three different tiers you get all kinds of different perks plus our pasta recipe which is pretty much gold you're welcome um and don't forget to um review us on apple podcast if you don't mind you also will get a sticker these stickers are not going to be made for very much longer because we are going to be changing things up shortly so that's something to look forward to i'm so excited but thank you guys so much again if you support us blink twice and if you're out there keep listening thank you for listening to podcast without an audience find us on social media at pod without an odd you can find us on instagram or facebook or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanaud at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.